welcome to a season one special episode of the podcast a surprise tonight i am joined here by mikhail and aziz and what we're going to be doing is we're going to actually be recapping and reviewing breaking down everything that you need to know about the witcher season one and why is that guys is there is there something coming up this month something that we might have been waiting two years for uh, it seems kind of random actually i thought we just figured this saturday the fourth december yeah Witcher season one day. That's it. There's no season two coming anytime soon, is there? No, I don't think <laughs> Doesn't so. Doesn't feel no. possible, but it could. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at one point we had had discussions that uh, we might not even get a season two with all the, you know, some some fantasy shows don't make it, but it seems that this fantasy show is going to make it. So I think, um, yeah, that we're all uh, pretty happy that that's going to be happening. Indeed, we are. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> so, welcome everyone uh, who's joining us this evening. Thank you for joining us on a Saturday night. The kind of cool thing that we're going to do, I think, uh, we'll probably go through everything chronologically. I guess we'll go episode by episode and kind of talk about a little bit about the differences from the books in the show. We can definitely do that. We have some notes on that. Some fun Easter eggs. Of course, we'll talk about all the best moments. And I, I think it's, um, if you can kind of see the ticker up here, you can see that we have a podcast called The Podcast Surprise. We like to plug our own podcast because we think we're awesome. But uh, <laughs> if you, but if you enjoy um, learning about The Witcher, um, you can check us out on Anchor.fm, The Podcast Surprise. And we've actually covered the first two books, which a lot of these short stories were covered in season one. It's kind of like origin stories or kind of like opening stories for all of these different episodes. We are going to get one of those for sure in season two with a grain of truth we know in episode one. But we're going to focus on season one today, and that's what we're going to kind of talk about. Um, for everyone that's joining us, we do have two versions of the podcast. Like I said, this live one, which you come listen to us live and you know comment in chat. Let us know what you're really enjoying about The Witcher, whether you're listening, whether you're reading, whether you're watching. And then we also have the podcast version, which is uh, kind of a labor of love of ours. We started, I believe, right when when the pandemic first started so um it's really fun that we've made it this far and now we're getting into main novel territory so that's gonna yeah. be super fun but yeah so guys let's talk about it let's do <laughs> what what about like to start off would be fun maybe to discuss like how you know i know we've talked about how you recruited me here but mccall what was like your first experience with the Witcher and, and watching the show and all that. That'd be kind of neat to hear, I think. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I got into this uh, by accident. Um, <laughs> I'd heard, you know, everybody was uh, talking about it on Twitter and I was like, I hadn't heard about it before it started. I don't think. And then I was like, uh, isn't that a video game a TV <laughs> show from a video game? Like what? Yeah. Um, and then I, I don't know why exactly, but like, I think I was just, you know, I, I can't blame the pandemic. It was before the pandemic, but yeah. uh, I, I just, I was just like, all right, it's eight, eight episodes. I'll, I'll, there is a certain appeal, I guess, to when you are a fantasy fan and you're a fantasy reader, when something comes out and you haven't read it to just kind of be like, ah, I don't care if they've changed everything. I'm just <laughs> going to see if I like this thing. So I watched it and I didn't understand it um, at all. <laughs> but it was a lot fun, of a lot of know. people didn't a lot of people didn't because of the multiple timeline stuff and we'll talk yeah about that. it was the timelines yeah which you know in retrospect whatever um but 
then yeah i and, and and of course i was seeing people talk about like oh wow this is actually only like the first two books and it's it's like really the short stories and i was like i'm never gonna read that and then you know here i am <laughs> so, season two i have no i have no way of being like oh it's fine they didn't if they changed anything i mean it is fine they can change whatever they want but i will definitely be a lot more aware <laughs> well you did make now. a good point Mikal. the witcher 3 is one of the best-selling video games of all time and has i believe 36 million copies sold which is up there i believe in the top 10 for video games other than mario and stuff like that so um for that type of video game to get up there we're talking like you know games like last of us um you know resident evil those type of games and witcher is up there in the best games ever sold so there's already this huge fandom behind it especially in eastern europe where cd project red had made this game and then of course you know some of these video games now are being picked up and turned into series like look at halo halo is going to become a series but the witcher has these great books behind it has this great story that's completely finished and that's kind of what me and aziz started talking about (laughs) yeah that's right you know what's funny is whenever you say the word series when you're talking about the witcher it's like what series what her sword her, her uh, Siri, green yeah. eyes it's like wait uh. <laughs> Siri yes. series yes yeah, series no you said it right I just <laughs> it's just kind of funny <laughs> but yeah I, I agree with y'all the timeline definitely was a little confusing uh what's funny though is is really sitting down to analyze this I noticed a few things Yennefer and Siri's stories are pretty linear it's Geralt's story that jumps around which is funny because that's the one that's the most linear in the books or at least linear enough that you don't notice because well well you don't notice because it doesn't matter because you don't have Yennefer and Siri to care about early on they're not in the novels right away so it does make a lot of sense the the structural changes they made some of them were by necessity and some of them were just uh trying to make it make more sense make it flow better and to have things be connected because I think that's one thing it did really well was looking at it episodically kind of like how we did with the short story you study each short story individually and you see like the themes and the connections and all the things that come out this also is happening in episodically though right within each episode there's a lot of powerful themes some more than others um but they do that really well here while also including a lot of easter eggs um that's one thing i noticed in particular rewatching it again now that we've gone through the books and done a really thorough look at the first two short story books watching the show again enabled me to catch a few things you know things that i didn't catch the first time mm-hmm. <laughs> that were like oh yeah i didn't that line because it's there's so much happening you can't possibly catch it all so it really made me feel like lauren hisrich and her team were trying pretty hard to keep book readers happy and uh, sometimes you have to look hard to find those things, but they are there. And it's crazy because um, before we even started this podcast, I had approached Aziz, and Aziz is obviously ultra popular with uh, Song of Ice and Fire, huge success with History of Westeros. And I said, hey, Aziz, you know, we should probably team up for this. There's going to be seven seasons of this. There's going to be a lot to talk about. And you haven't read it yet. I feel like I know a little bit more than you. So <laughs> <laughs> for once I know, and might know a little bit more, but we had some fun conversations and I kept pestering Aziz and it turns out that uh, after a couple of flights, Aziz had read five books and I said, holy crap. Uh, okay. And that's where we are now. I think, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about after season one, how many people picked up the books and they were sold out on all the different Amazons and bookstores. So obviously people are really invested in the story now. 
the the Netflix people are creating what I like to call the Witcherverse with the Nightmare of the Wolf, the Blood Origin prequel, and a whole cast of content they're going to be dropping for the Witcher. So it's a really exciting time to be a fantasy fan. Like I said, don't always get what we want with fantasy shows, but it seems like this one is going to be one that sticks. They got really big names. They're telling the story right. When you got someone like Lauren Hisrich, who's literally going on Reddit and chatting with people, having conversations with people like us that like to banter, that's a pretty good sign for someone that's going to be dedicated to telling a, a huge story like this. Which is, is interesting of itself, I think, because it's like looking at like reading the books and looking at it kind of objectively and then what they did with the show and, you know, having come into it, not knowing anything. I'm still a little surprised it's as popular as it is. Not that it's not good, but like it's dense. It's confusing. It's, you know, it's dark both literally and like visually. And it's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing to have kind of caught the public imagination. Um, But it's, it's interesting how that happens. I'm glad it did. I agree too, but you know, it's funny. I have the same like, huh, I'm surprised this is doing so well. Like, I'm not surprised it does well, but as well as it did, you know, being number one uh, for Netflix for a while there. And uh, it even surpassed The Mandalorian. I did Google tracking and mm-hmm. it had more views than The Mandalorian, which is. I well, think, I'm not sure yeah. it really did because The Mandalorian wasn't worldwide, but that's whatever. It, yeah. it did really, really well. Anyway, uh, point being. I think that's also true for the video game. Maybe the RPG, it's also really dark and has a lot of story. It's pretty dense for a game. But I think that's maybe part of why it did so well, because people want that. And there wasn't a lot of that out there. There wasn't a lot of, like, RPGs aren't quite that strong a lot of times, you know? So... I mean, we talked about the, the, vera- the veracity. The, I mean, Mikhail mentioned <laughs> the veracity of the Nightmare of the Wolf, how we were surprised at how graphic the opening of that was but that's the world of the witcher that is the dangerous element of living on the continent i think that they have to showcase that and that's part of sapkowski's story whether it be gruesome or not so it's, it's interesting and i don't mean to get us down a total rabbit hole <laughs> but i i i'm watching the wheel of time and i'm i i think it'll be interesting to compare those two because that's also been picked up for a second series and it's also going to be eight episodes and to kind of see you know, where, where it falls on kind of the zeitgeist and, and popularity. If it, if it grows, if it flails and collapses, like <laughs> it, it, it'll be interesting to compare the two. Cause I do think that there's, I mean, they're very different stories, but there's a similar, you know, high fantasy doesn't give a shit if you don't want to hear about vampires and Trollocs and like all this, like really intense, like castles. It's, 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 unapologetic fantasy so i think it'll be really interesting to uh see to compare those two uh the cinematics of course um they got a new vfx team i believe it's the same team that does the mandalorian and some of the marvel movies and that was kind of one i think big um thing for critics you know they're the golden dragon and some of the other things they thought that you know netflix could have poured a little bit more money into that and well they did they have a, a much larger budget um not saying that that makes or breaks the show for me because i thought you know um the quality of the acting was really good yeah that definitely helps when you got more moolah to put into uh, good looking things like leshies and whatnot before we jump into uh breaking down season one there were so many great elements um, in short stories, would you say that you enjoyed the adaptations? Would you, did you think they were faithful enough with what they did in season one? Yeah, so I'd been somewhat paying attention to the the fact that they 
updated some of the short stories and you know added more female characters gave female characters more agency um a lot of stuff which was already kind of possible within the story like it just in the first episode like marilka you know the 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 girl who kind of becomes Geralt's like snarky guide in the village um, is, you know, she's mentioned in in the story. She's not like a complete invention, Um, but like, yeah, I, I I do think that they made it more. I I think they, they took from Sapkowski's later ethos and kind of adapted the earlier work into, you know, some, some, some of the uh, uh, earlier stuff that he had created. Yeah, I agree. There's like a lot. It starts off with Destiny right away. Like Destiny episode one, boom, you're you're talking about it right away. But that's not really that early of a thing in the books. It certainly comes up huge, but not right away. Mm-hmm. It's mostly like it starts off with just there's this guy, Geralt, who's a witcher and the world expands around him. And then all of a sudden we have more important characters and it gets huge and vastly more interesting and detailed. But yeah, like he didn't start off with all that. So it, that's another reason it makes sense to restructure some things and and hit the ground running with these important ideas uh not just to introduce those characters but yeah the the things this is all about needed to be introduced as well and that's a good example um this will be the only game of thrones comparison i make tonight but the thing (laughs) i actually the thing i actually love about adaptations when they go to tv too is is that we're going to get a lot more screen time for some of these characters that don't necessarily get a ton in the books like some of these other witchers we're going to see in season two um we're going to get to get to know them a little bit better because um there's a pretty you know there's a pretty large span of time where some of these characters don't show up and i don't think that uh, for the show I don't think they're necessarily going to kill off these characters, but I think it's important that if they're going to become popular characters that they uh, get, get more story told. And we, we had a lot of characters like that in Game of Thrones, and I think that's also going to apply to The Witcher. Where we're going to have some characters that are having more screen time and having more story fleshed out. And I think that's a good thing to have differences from the Yeah, like, for show. example, Stregobor is, mm-hmm. is in one story in the entire novels, but he's apparently going to be a significant part going forward. He's going to be he's part of the Brotherhood of Sorcerers and all that. So that's pretty important. Um, Yay. Yeah, we love <laughs> him. <though. laughs> we all hate Stregobor. Fan favorite Stregobor. <laughs> It is funny. It, it, it's, I didn't realize that was Matt Mickelson's brother. That's Stragabor's Matt Mickelson's brother, Lars. So that's cool. We were just talking about, oh, he's the same last name, but I didn't know that was him. So let's see. Should we just start with that? That's the first episode. Should we dive right in? Yeah. The first cool. one. Uh, what's the uh, what's the episode title? It's called The End's Beginning, and it's pretty much the lesser evil. Uh, if you follow these stories along in terms of Geralt's perspective, they correspond one-to-one with short stories. Now, Ciri's perspective and Yennefer's perspective, very different. Stuff is in, like I said, more linear within itself, but not as corresponding to the short stories where Geralt's stuff is mixed up a bit more, but uh, follows the pattern of the short stories just in different order. So, for example... I love the beginning, even though there isn't any real tension in moments like that when there's a fight and it's the main character, like he's obviously going to be fine. (laughs) But it was neat to show it was an homage right from the get go. You have a little deer, which at first I didn't get it. But on reflection, this is a little nod to the short stories and to the Witcherverse being rooted in 
fairy tales. That's supposed to be Bambi. <laughs> That's Bambi getting killed in the first few seconds. So it's like, hey, yo, these are fairy tales, but they're kind of dark because <laughs> we're killing Bambi right out the gate. Right. And then it moves into, you know, a, a, a cute little girl who just talks about murdering dogs for money. So, you know, it's uh, it's kind of dark. There's a couple of funny jokes that refer to the short story and some that refer to the world in general. There's a great line like, because I'm a girl and girls can't be witchers. Right. Like, oh, nice. Because <laughs> we that's setting a little something up, isn't it? Hmm. Hmm. And then uh, right away, we get the anti-witcher sentiment. We got, you know, the people hating mutants. That's kind of, uh, if you've watched like the X-Men or read X-Men comments, it's kind of familiar because it's even the same terminology, you know, hating mutants. And I love the line, I killed a rat this morning with my breakfast fork. She says that, Marilka does. And that's a, a nod to the books because Geralt, uh, when he's having dinner at the alderman's house, he he throws a fork to kill a rat that no one could even see. <laughs> and and the alderman's wife is very unhappy that he did that. So I thought that was a good little joke. <laughs> a pretty good adaptation of the short story. I felt like yeah. I, 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 was, I was pretty satisfied by that. Yeah. She even does that thing with her skirt, doesn't she? Where she like lifts it up and wraps it around her arm or something it's yeah. yeah makes it into a part of her weapon yeah that was cool yeah. <laughs> but so remind if i'm if i'm wrong correct me but i think this story kind of starts like the witcher right with him coming into like a man walks into a bar and everybody's like fuck you and he's like Bleh. and then you know yes. and then it kind of transitions totally right. into the lesser evil yeah, that's that would have been the third episode if they had corresponded. But you're right; that's the, the first short story has this intro, basically. But yeah, the man who walks into the bar is yeah. kind of iconic, to be honest, because yeah. Geralt does some bad things there. <laughs> they act like they want to fight him, but you know, <laughs> and then he uh, could have chopped nice all their heads off if he wanted to. We, we've discussed how how that's like in retrospect, kind of out of character for Carol to just slaughter people. Yes. <laughs> so it's it good that they dropped that probably because, yeah, it was kind of like, what? What's this all about? <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's also not like we're, we're like thirsting for a fight scene in this episode. Yeah. Like, you definitely yeah. get, you know. Yeah, a really good one. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of that, I think we may have mentioned a little of this before, but this is this is where it's most relevant. That was originally going to be instead of the actress who plays Renfrey, whose name I forgot to Emma Appleton, I think is her name. Is that right? It was going to be Millie Brady, who was Ethel Fled in Last Kingdom. But because of reshoots, she wasn't available. And there was a small thing I would criticize about the reshoot, which is they didn't make her blonde. Because it's important for her to be blonde, because Stragabor even says golden crowns, you know, like this, this, the path to Lilith will be paved by 60 women in golden crowns, which is supposed to mean blonde hair, right? Uh, blonde but, hair, yeah. And the, and the stunt, there's no picture of Millie Brady in costume, but there is a picture of her stunt double, and she did have blonde hair. So they were going to do that originally, but for some reason, they just... She doesn't, this this actress, they didn't like how she looked in blonde hair. Or I don't know. They just decided not to. It's a very small thing. That would have provided a nicer contrast to show that, A, like, there's something going on with blonde-haired women, like Siri obviously being very blonde and oh, Renfrey yeah. also being blonde. But I, but I also think that, like, the change to it, I felt like it was still tragic no matter what. It's like, oh, man, like, 
Geralt's like, don't you dare touch her body. You know what I mean? That was so powerful. Yeah. You could tell how pissed he was. He's like, I'm not letting you do anything to her body, even though she's dead. Even though we just had the disagreement and I had to kill her, I'm not letting you touch her. Like, that yeah, he's not saying, he's, he's like, this doesn't mean you were right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that does not mean he's like, don't take these bodies to mean I agree with you, you know? <laughs> but it would have been interesting to see, you know, maybe if they, you know, she did have blonde hair, kind of like a cut scene, like, because you know, you know how you can jump POVs. That would have been kind of interesting to yeah. kind of give give the 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 show watchers subtle hints that you know someone of blonde hair was special and magical and that kind of deal. I do wonder if that might have just been, if it might have been that simple, and that like audiences can be dumb and like we don't want to confuse them with too many blonde people in the mm. opening episode of like. I mean, they're in two different plot lines, so I don't. Uh, maybe mm. it wouldn't have oh. been, but like. It, 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 I feel like sometimes networks think like that, that it's just like too many, too many mm. blonde women, you know? It is years yeah. later. You're right about that. That's Syria. a good point. That is a good point. So that's a, that's a good pivot to talking about Siri. It's pretty straightforward, her story version here in terms of the short, in terms of what comes from the books, except that we see it instead of having most of it implied. That's a big part of Siri and Yennefer's story in, the, in season one is things that were implied in the books but not shown on screen actually get shown in yennefer's case some of these things aren't explained till way later uh but they're all origin story stuff so it makes sense to talk about now for example in siri's case we talk about the destiny stuff right away when siri has like this moment of like showing a little magic when they're trying to make her flee mm-hmm. and Malsack goes up to her calanthe's like yo did you see that and she's like i saw it too she's the reason they're here Right. That is a thing that's not nearly as drawn out in the books. They're 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 making Nilfgaard more fanatic about this prophecy instead of it being just a thing that only a few of them know about. It's like the whole like it's been spread to the army. They're all fanatic about the white flame and it makes it they make it seem like Nilfgaard was kind of a mess before the white flame took over. And you know what I mean? Like they show that they laugh at that one Nilfgaardian suitor uh, in episode four and um talk about it like it's a you know a crap hole or whatever which that's a little different from the books but it ends up in the same place Nilfgaard is really powerful and they're invading and a big part of that is the white flame but it's it's just a lot more it's not subtle the white flame stuff is like we're all about that you know <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see with it where they go with this character with without spoiling too much apparently there's a rumor we might actually see this character in season two we don't see this character till much later in the books. so that's kind of oh a thing God. that I was ta- i'm gonna lose my shit if that happens it's gonna be so crazy <laughs> i think i, I can, think it would I actually i think it would actually it. be good i think it's gonna be like a, a like a last like last episode type of thing maybe like last <sighs> scene of the whole season i actually think it would be crazy because holding out on that character for a long time, I think could, I mean, cause we have such a long wait in between seasons, right. And introducing this, you know, this antagonist, this huge antagonist in the story is going to make a big impact. Well, but, I, but I, but I, but I actually like the idea like... of them becoming more fanatical in the show because it really depends on what, how they showcase this person's lust for power and magic. Cause yeah. I think that reading that and seeing that in a show is very different. So um, you can see the expression on someone's face and all of that. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna be really interested to see how they pull that off. Yeah. 
I think it makes sense too to do it because you can't keep it a secret forever. The more people that read the books, you just mm-hmm. better just to get it out of there, you know, <laughs> before like people get spoiled. And I think out, it can outside con- of the show, which we, yeah, that would suck. <laughs> it can create a lot of tension in between season two and season three. People will be maybe even more invested into getting the books too. You know what I mean? And I, I think I think it would be an interesting decision to do that if they do that. I wouldn't be opposed to it, to be quite honest. I yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, I, well, I won't get too specific in case of spoilers, but I, mm. I do think it's worth saying that, you know, there's a female character involved in that, in that plot line who could definitely, I think, use the Lauren Hisrick treatment in terms mm. of giving her story more screen time and, and more, mm. um, just, just more presence. Yeah. Uh, more on that, Al. More of more on that side of things. I agree with you. That, that would be really good. <laughs> Let's move on to the next episode. Yeah. But but couple just a couple of quick fun notes, just little tidbits that I, I, I enjoyed that are worth mentioning. We all know Sapkowski has a great sense of humor, and we love to talk about that. And I like to point out when that sense of humor makes its way into the show. So I'm gonna, I, I was looking for things like that. And one of the first things I noticed was <laughs> Stregobor looks like a wizard. Remember how that was a joke <laughs> in the book? Like, no, of all the wizards in the world, <laughs> you know, like most of them don't look like, but this guy looks exactly like a stereotypical wizard. I don't remember how it was written, but I laughed so loud when I read that line for the first time. And here he comes in looking, he looks like a fantasy wizard. He's got a staff, he's got a beard. He's old, you know, he's There's got apples. Clothes. Yeah, the app and the apple, is, the apple is a reference to, to Cinderella, which is great. That's uh, the poison apple and all that. So that was another. Nod. Also, There's a some, lot of some people don't know that Stregobor is hundreds of years old. So, yeah, <laughs> he's definitely a wizard. Yeah, yeah. Right. Gandalfian. So- <laughs> he's a Gandalfian. Blessing us with his presence for hundreds of years. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, so, I'm never gonna uh, let go of this. He's so terrible. He's uh, he he or uh, Novellan. He's worse than Novellan, isn't he? He's worse than Novellan. He's way he's worse, worse than Novellan. Novellan yeah. experiments he, on girls. Yeah, that's yeah. He yeah. literally <laughs> experiments on people. He's terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I have, I have a list. I have a mental list. And maybe we'll get to see some more of maybe some more of his past. That might be interesting. Maybe. Uh, one le- great line though, that's important and I'm really glad they spliced it with Siri because it, it's also, it's a really good like theme and pattern and parallel work. Stregobor says, you know, she has the power to destroy the world. And Geralt says, I don't believe that kind of power exists. And then you go over to Siri <laughs> and she just like screams and opens a fissure in the world, you know, in the ground yep. <laughs> without and knowing what she's doing. Like, Hmm, that looks like that might be able to destroy the world. I'm just saying. <laughs> so yeah, that seed was planted good. for sure. But the, and the last line Stragabor has a really good line. It's the one, I think it might actually be the last line of the episode, or at least the last line of Geralt's plot in the episode is you made a choice. And you'll never know if it was the right one. Like, ooh, damn, that was a dirty thing to say to Geralt because that's exactly what he's thinking. Like, well, ooh, it burns at Geralt too because yeah. um, Geralt was a man of inaction for so long, and he finally chooses his destiny. Eventually, yeah. we see at the end of the season. So that's a thing that we're. That's going to be a constant thread that we're going to see this push and pull between those kind of two sides, right? So yeah, because that's a great way to end it. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think episode one, having rewatched them, I think it's, it's one of the best. It's definitely maybe not the best. I don't like choosing a favorite, but 
I put a strong. I put a poll in the YouTube chat. You can only choose four options, and I put that as one of the options. I felt that that was okay. <laughs> I think it's in my top three or four episodes. Definitely in my top three episodes of the season. I think. Right on. Well, let's go to number two. Yeah. Um. So a lot of uh, Siri origin stuff is being dealt with in in number one. It moves over to our. First introduction to Yennefer. She gets a, a fairly thorough origin story start off, and it continues throughout the next several episodes, which is nice because in the in the books it's more of a, a piecemeal thing. Um, like I said a few minutes ago, some of Yennefer's origin stuff isn't tackled till very late in the books. So you kind of like some of her stuff with Tessa comes out way later, so it makes sense to put it earlier. I'm, I'm obviously not criticizing. Uh, I actually think it's maybe better to do this way. And another thing that's really interesting is the way Shard of Ice, a lot of the stuff from Shard of Ice is in these episodes, but it's spread out. Whereas a lot of these other short stories are kind of one-to-one relationships. Something more, uh, and sort uh, so, sort of Destiny, rather, is spread out. It's a lot of series stories, just something more kind of spread out. Uh, or sort of Destiny, rather, um, when she goes to Brocklon and all that. And then same with Yennefer's is kind of spread out, like Shard of Ice plus Backstory. Because you get this Istrid relationship, which is a, a big key to uh, Shard of Ice. And speaking of Stregobor and characters who are more prominent in the show, Istrid is mm. a character going forward. So we're going to see more of him. Unlike There's lots of him in the books. trailer, too. So that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, I like that. There's lots of him in the first season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Sorry, I'm just remembering the applause scene. It was uh Yeah, that was, that was weird. stuck with me. <laughs> but it does kind of set up the the one in Last Wish, which is like, oh, okay, that's yeah. kind of weird, but it's at least it makes more sense. Cause yeah, like with series story, we're told it just kind of offhand with a few sentences, like, yeah, she spent all this time with refugees, she like pretended to be someone else, she didn't talk for a while. Uh, she was hunted, all these other things. So we're just seeing that instead of being told that it happened. Which, you know, it makes a lot of sense because you get to see a little more of the in- interplay of Sintra. Like the people who hate elves and the people who are crappy to their halfling manservant or slave or whatever he is. And bringing out like Calanthe being more harsh to elves than she was in the books and that being... That's a major theme of this episode is the elven refugees versus Sintran refugees versus all three stories talk about elves being pushed to the brink. You got Edge of the World, which we know from the story is the deepest of that. Then you have Siri kind of back and forth. She doesn't even know Dara is an elf yet. And then but you have this one angry refugee boy who's got a necklace of elf ears, right? Like, whoa. Um, but you also can't feel too bad for like you also kind of understand like this guy's brother was killed by elves or something. But you also find out that the cleansing, Phil of Andrel's uh, uprising was put down by Calanthe. And that's different from the books. Uh, so there's a much deeper resentment between Sintra and the elves than is present in the book. So that's uh that's important. It's going to be really interesting, too, because I think this is another plot point that's going to have more screen time character like Philavandrel. We're going to see all of these other factions be introduced in season two. And I think Philavandrel is going to have a big impact. We talk, uh, we have it in our notes here, uh, Nightmare of the Wolf. Philavandrel, his character uh, actually voiced Philavandrel in Nightmare of the Wolf. So that was cool, making that connection, giving him a little bit more kind of story to chomp on to get to know Philavandrel a little bit more. But this, I think you're right. The xenophobia was definitely more prominent in the show. And focusing on that, I think will create a bigger conflict going forward because we are going to see more of that. 
Yeah, and they used a little of it in Yennefer's story because they made her a quarter elf, and um, mm-hmm. that became a political issue when they're deciding where to send the different wizards. They were they used that as a reason to not send her because they're like, well, you know, you don't want to send the elf, the elf girl down there. And they're like, an elf, an elf, quarter yeah. elf, and they're like, let's see them do that math, you know, to Sintra, you know, like <laughs> so. something with elf blood being dangerous as well. We know that yeah. royal elf blood is magical. In, in some sort of way, and, and th- that can also be judged, you know what I mean? Oh, th- those people are dangerous, we can't have any elf blood, that's another thing too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if they start leaning into that also with the dwarves, because Ooh, yeah. the the episode with the dwarves, I, I don't remember, I don't think they particularly, like, I, I don't know if anyone's, like, a huge fan of them, but I don't know that they leaned quite as much into, like, the dwarven persecution that they do in the books. Because they yeah, were also pushed back. They were some of the first inhabitants on the continent, right? Like it was elves, yeah. dwarves, and then they were all pushed back by humans who gained the knowledge of magic. Well, the dwarves are more of an example of what Geralt was trying to tell to uh, Philip Andrew to do. He's like, look, you need to like uh, assimilate. You know, like it sucks, but you got to do it. And that's what they could have done. They could have said, yeah, like the dwarves did. The dwarves have... Are a, are a part of society because they are they have skills that the humans don't have, right? They have this incredible ability to to forge things, like they're great at mining and forging, and better than the humans. So that's their sort of place in society, right? I mean, I'm not saying it's good, I'm not saying it's ethical, but it is an example of of different scenario that worked out with a lot less animosity. But still, there's animosity. It's still there, yeah. You know, a little funny note, uh, Tissaia calling Yennefer Piglet and all these little insults. It's totally, I just, I realized that it's totally the way Yen insults Siri. The same way calling her ugly one and all that. It's the same thing. (laughs) It's just like, you're not actually ugly. I'm just saying that to you (laughs) to like toughen you up. Of course, we have um, the Geralt and Yaskier adventure as well. The uh, Edge of the World stuff and Toss a Coin, which ended up becoming an absolutely massive hit. Apparently, there's another toss a coin type of song for season two and they plan to make that kind of a per season type deal they're going to have all sorts of great songs that are going to be coming our way but this was one that you know i think that we talked about a little bit that we were a little bit disappointed about obviously we know that they can only take a certain amount of time each episode to devote in these short stories and i felt like this one was one of the weaker adaptations out of the season. I didn't particularly like the CGI for Torque either because he's, mm. I, I kind of, I guess I kind of have an, my own image of him from the books too. It's him being a Sylvan and, you know, just him being a lovable character. So I kind of felt like that fell flat. He didn't have as much of an impact, I thought, personally. But I mean, like I said, I'm not as upset because I don't think that in the grand scheme of things, this is a story that has as much impact as like a Last Wish or something like that, you know? That's a weird story to start off with. So, you know, and, and they didn't really lean into like the Javel and the people who yeah. super weirdly. And <laughs> I wish they the had. It's so funny. <laughs> um, right. So, and the, but that's a big part of the story and it kind of leads into things. So I think if yeah. you're, and I get why they cut it because it doesn't have like that much plot relevance. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love this episode for, for Yaskir and, and, mm. and just meeting him and getting the beginning of the puppy angry old man dynamic (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it does fit like i agree that some of the adaptations a little wonky and i know that this is the episode that when people were were first watching the show they were like boy this show has a real xena feel to it you know and that was this is like that's what it was you got like 
a bard following around a warrior who's kind of not super happy about the bard being there but grows to like them that's usually the case right (laughs) yeah that's like what joxer the mighty wasn't that his name and and xena i didn't actually watch that show very much but i remember that character and it seems like people i remember people comparing it to that and i think this is the episode people were thinking of when they said that Funny thing I noticed was the music, the toss a coin music starts before he plays the song. It's actually part of the early part of the episode. And I only noticed that this last time. I was like, hey, that's toss a coin before he's actually written it. I love toss a coin so much, not because not because of the song. Like, it's a good song. Like, don't get me wrong. I, mm. I find it very catchy. But I just love that it worked out. It's so meta, right? The whole point of him writing that song was to repair Geralt's reputation. And it doesn't work if the song does, isn't popular. And then they wrote into the show that the song is popular. They like write in that the song spreads. It's catchy. People are singing it two episodes later in the bar, right? Which, of course, is many years later. But still, Mm -hmm. they're singing it in the bar. And it's like that would come off as a little contrived, maybe like, oh, this song got popular. But it got popular in the real world. So it's incredibly believable. (laughs) Like it was a huge hit on Earth. So like, yeah, well, I can believe it got popular on the continent if it got popular on Earth. So I just love that so much. It worked out so well. (laughs) I, I think that's one thing that caught through the whole season. We have in other episodes, you know. You know, Yaskier is up to no good and he's kind of gallivanting around and making jokes and trying to make light of situations and doing his Barty type things. And that was always something that I, I was like, oh, I was always looking forward to that. Whenever it happened, it was like the highlight of the episode or one of the highlights of the episode. I think going forward too, obviously things get more serious, but having Yaskier is kind of that comedic element. He reminds, I, I don't want to use a Game of Thrones thrones comparison but he's a lot like Tyrion. you know what i mean he's got this cleverness and this humor to him and he brings that bright sunshine sometimes when you have this darkness within an episode so i, I just love yaskier and this episode definitely highlighted him for sure i think yeah i think he was the star of the episode for episode two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like basically siri and Geralt are introduced episode one yennefer and jaskier episode two so yeah kind of oh well, i said yaskier but yennefer yennefer is also very good in yeah. episode two yeah, yeah, she is. It's 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 stuff that we kind of knew, but was off, you know, off page. Um, but the new stuff with her, like the Istrid stuff and the, the stuff below the school and, and that Eratuza was built by elves, we knew that. But it's cool to see it, and you know, and all those skulls is really creepy and cool. It's like skulls of elves instead of blood of elves. Yeah. And uh, we see the Tower of the Gull, which is cool. That's not the significance of it isn't known at that point. But obviously, having read the books, you know that that's more important later and teruvial is in the main books too so it's a lot of good setup yeah eratusa beautiful place yeah oh we also see some of the other girl i like that there's some of the other sorceresses are there with yennefer like sabrina and fringilla and um some of the others but those are the that's nice and we kind of get to see a little bit of their past and how they were before they were very i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't say they weren't strong then but they become a lot stronger and more confident in themselves that's for sure <laughs> i love the reasons like they're there like you know why you're here you did something with magic and and <laughs> she says sabrina you made your mother fat <laughs> she just kind of looks down like yeah i did not do it again <laughs> she doesn't look sorry at all <laughs> she's like she had it coming <laughs> sabrina that actress playing sabrina has that has that face of the i do what i want <laughs> like, i'm I'm better than you. <laughs> so this um... is well cast. <laughs> so 
So this next episode of these Betrayer Moon is uh is one of the fan favorites of season one. And yeah. It has some great cinematography. And I, I think that I don't know, I think that this is probably my favorite episode of the season, just with the mix of kind of like what happens to the Witcher and the Striga story and all of that. And I just thought it was it was brilliantly shot. Cinematically, I think it was the most beautiful episode, personally. Kind of a debate going on. Everybody, I put up the poll and everybody kind of picked their own favorite episodes. But this happens to be my personal favorite. I don't know about you guys, but there's something about this episode that is kind of the darkness of it that kind of grasped me. I saw some people classify it as a horror episode, uh, the most mm-hmm. of any of them. And I agree with that. I mean, the Striga stuff is very horror element. It's got that tragic romance horror thing going. It's got like, it feels like a lot of vampire stories where uh, mm-hmm. you've got, because you even, even right down Dracula. to the incest, <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, I agree Forbidden with you. It's love. Got a great feel to it. Yeah. It's, it's even, which is interesting because it's perhaps less important overall to the plot, but it is, it was just really well done. Um, I like, like even the stuff that I don't normally care about that much, like action. I'm like, you know, I like action. I like good action, but I don't, you know, it's it's not at the top of the list for me, but just the way they had him like blow the floor open with the sign with the art sign. That was cool. Like, that's a smart, like clever way f- to him to use his powers. It isn't just like straight up action, like back and forth, you know, and it, and it it looked awesome. Yeah, like just- he uses multiple signs in this episode. He uses Irden as well, which is like a magical ward. And he's yeah, he, he, so the, yeah. yeah. So a lot of cool stuff happens this episode for sure, as far as like Wittering goes. He gets, he gets, he gets, he gets the obviously, what, what, what the, what's it called? The, the hourglass. And he's like, you know, you know, he has to survive the night and that's, yeah. he's, like, he's like becoming a vampire himself. That's so freaking cool. Yeah. So they definitely kept a lot of the homages present, which I like. I, I, one of the things I really liked about the season overall is they did that. They did a good job. I mean, I mentioned that in the first one here, but Lauren Hisrich seems to really care about keeping a lot of those nods and the, that heart of the witcher which is the fairy tale stuff the some of the humor the destiny stuff but also this fairy tale elements like the the homages that were present in the short stories are still present here like we we, we talked about how this was very much like dracula i mean he's a white-haired mm-hmm. dude breaking the curse instead of creating one he sleeps in a coffin just for you know just for this <laughs> one night you know it's like hmm. <laughs> you know it's like hmm, yeah i see silver you know horror elements like it starts with the kid with his with his chest cut open just like on a, at the curse of midnight when it crosses over a grave when a pregnant woman has died he's like telling the story as he's dying it's like ooh, yeah <laughs> this is this is intense man what were your uh what were your thoughts on the episode Mikael? um it was gross <laughs> <laughs> i don't it need to see a monster trailing a desiccated umbilical cord ever again i'm good um <laughs> I think, you know, I, I liked it. I, I This is also the introduction of Triss, right? In, yes. in this episode. So that was cool. It was also a, a nice adjustment to see, like, female sorceresses being advisors in, in out in the world. Yeah, I mean, I found the Yennefer story, like, partly very moving. I do think they probably should have had some kind of, like, suicide attempt warning at the beginning of the episode. Because... Mm, yeah, um, You know, I've had this discussion with people and obviously like it's weird to say that there's a mass suicide in the first episode and I don't necessarily think that needs a a warning because it's so situational, you know, people drinking poison like that's not that doesn't reflect reality nearly as much. And they wouldn't be doing that if Nilfgaard wasn't about to come kill them like they don't want to die. It's not. Whereas I feel like, right, Yennefer is in a much more kind of 
I guess, typical depression situation. Um, yeah, more realistic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's a really, it's really cool to see her relationship with Tasea start like really growing and that kind of adversarial, you know, way in which she kind of refuses to understand her and kind of deliberately almost refuses to be successful at magic. I found that really interesting. And yeah, I, I do wonder if they, if they were considering where to put the, uh, the Witcher storyline, just because incest is like practically like TM Game of Thrones yeah. at this point, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, I wonder if they wanted to be like, okay, we want to put it in so that people know it's there, but we also don't want it to be like, we're just doing this because of Game of Thrones. Um, yeah. <laughs> totally agree. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a really, it's a good episode. It's definitely. It's not my favorite. The next one is my favorite, but I, you know, I, I find that it, I don't know. It, it gives you, it, it's, it's a chilling adventure, you know? Like uh, the way they interspersed the Striga's pain and rage, which was set up by the very moving scene between Foltest and Geralt, where he describes like what she's going through and like how he just went through something similar with Renfri and he gives him the brooch and all that. It isn't my first time trying to save a princess from a curse. What happened to that one? I killed her, <laughs> you know, and he's like, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's very sad, but it's, it's it's also good setup because, yeah, he loves his daughter, even though she's not exactly, I mean, saying she's not normal is, is way underselling it, <laughs> yeah. but he's still like clearly has it's it, he's not sharing this moment with anyone else so you know it's real he's not putting on airs for Geralt he's not pretending to be emotional for Geralt like first of all kings would rarely pretend to be emotional about anything except angry you know <laughs> but uh he's legitimately moved and sad and he generally he's genuinely empathic about it yeah and he's and Geralt says he's like am I gonna, is she gonna be normal and he says She's going to she all she's ever known. She's been she's basically an animal. She's been raised. She, she knows rage and hunger. And this is and when she's screaming and fighting Geralt and trying to get away, it's interspersed with Yennefer's transformation, which she decides to go in without drugs because Yennefer, if there's anything about her is she goes farther than anyone else. She's like, oh, you do that. I'm going to go farther. <laughs> this is like, oh, that's this. I'll go a step farther. That's that's one of Yennefer's personality traits that shows her strength that's her personal strength she can push farther than anyone yeah like and when she breaks up with Istrid because he was trying to like put her in a box like trying to make her into like a a wife he's she's like hell no that stuff is similar to Shard of Ice except it's got this whole like school versus school politics stuff where Istrid is setting her up because Stregobor wants him to and it's the Stregobor versus Tisea stuff that's Hardly touched on, but I guess that's going to be a bigger thing going forward, which I guess makes sense given other events in the books. But anyway, we'll come back to that mm. later. So, yeah, I just thought it was, yeah, I thought it was pretty moving. It was gross, but it was pretty moving. A lot of the, like, love across the, borders. and, and The mirroring like was really good in this episode, like you're talking about, Aziz. Like, yeah. the, the scene-to-scene stuff. That's why, because, like, I love Jennifer's transformation, showing that she had to go through pain to get to this new process. And then you see her walk in the room, and she commands everyone. It's like commands everyone with her beauty but she already had a beautiful personality so like we we know that she had a beautiful personality so when she walks in the room and she, she does that uh, i think she does <laughs> i love Jennifer. i'm not sure she has a beautiful personality she has like a very Jennifer. strong personality maybe, maybe i like maybe, maybe i like them spicy i don't know <laughs> maybe let's rem- let's remember what fresh in my head remember what Jennifer says to siri when i just what i was talking about before and she's why do you keep calling me u- ugly one she's like because i'm malicious <laughs> 
<laughs> she just flat out says it. Hey, I'm malicious. Maybe I like honesty. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I'm trying to get at. Well, I mean, it's all interesting because, like, you know, it's not the most brilliant thing, but like the the birth imagery and the rebirth imagery when Geralt's fighting the Striga and Yennefer is mm. being like both having her uterus torn out and her physical form is reborn. Like it, it looks like she's being born in a way and slash giving birth. Yeah, <laughs> it is really good. Yeah. I think we all agree that the interposing of those scenes was really well, not just because they look similar, but because like the themes and the emotions are similar. So it's like parallels in a lot of ways. And that is, that's great. It's powerful. Yeah. You know, Yennefer is, it's ironic because in this scene, she's, she's going through all this to physically conform to kind of society's expectations, whereas mm. nothing inside her is capable of conforming. Like she, she's, oh. she is completely anti-conformist, which is why I say that she doesn't have like a great personality just because she's, and that's part of what gets between her and Carol. Like she, she, she does not want to conform in any way to anyone else's expectations, even if it's going to make her happy. So like, that's, you know, part of her psychology and struggle going forward. It's like her anti-conformity is also is strong, but sometimes too strong. Like you, like you right. said, I think really well, it keeps her from being happy. Yeah, her rebelliousness sometimes keeps her from growing, but also makes her grow. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. And she thinks yeah. she needs to have a child to to have that. That's the thing that becomes more of an ongoing plot uh, that she, you know, she she's also mad that that was taken from her. Couple of quick points, uh, just random trivia about this episode, more like connections to the books or Easter eggs or dot connection. That dead witcher we mentioned in the Nightmare on the Wolf episode is Remus, who is one of the four kids that escapes at the end. And there's a kind of an in-joke there. Uh, he's feeling like for his missing parts. And Triss says, you, cl- you two clearly aren't acquainted with each other. It's like, well, actually, they went through the trial of grasses together. <laughs> They say a witcher runs off with the money, but it's not. Uh, that's not what happened. They think the witcher ran off with the money. In the book, just one runs off. He's like, nah, I'm not doing that. I've, I'm running away. Geralt's pissed about that because he's like, you made them think he ran off with their money rather than letting them know a witcher was killed by this thing. And that just adds to the whole witchers are hated thing. He's like, you just threw witchers under the bus again. Like, this guy didn't... He, he died for you and... You made everyone think he ran away. So that was kind of sad. Uh, we didn't really talk about Siri that much in this one. It's pretty straightforward. She's not actually in it very much. She's lost with Dara, Rat Boy, you know, and she feels a call <laughs> towards Broccolon. And then Dara gets shot with an arrow, which is very similar to the beginning of Sword of Destiny when Geralt is, is thinking about like random boys just being shot because they happen to get too close to Broccolon and not knowing why and all that. So, oh, one other thing. Frangilla's uncle, Artorius Vigo, is in a couple episodes this season. Um, he's in the books, but he isn't actually seen. He's just off top page. He gets talked about, but he's never actually seen. So we actually see him this time. So kind of another example of like Stregobor, where they're just keeping it simple by not trying to give you a bunch of names that don't come back. They're like, well, we're using this character, so we're going to keep using this character rather than... <laughs> Better to create that connection and keep that thread going anyways. It's like... Yeah to keep it at least going for one season because we, we we know that other characters are going to flourish and become bigger factors later on. But f- I think for the sake of continuity for the first season, I think that was a good decision. Yeah. I guess we what? can call it the law of conservation of wizards. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we want it to happen. One last line. Full test had a line that I really liked, even though the context is gross because he's talking about his sister, but he's talking about love. And he's like, for all it brightens, love casts dark shadows. 
It's like, that's a pretty good line, except the context is really gross. But you're banging your sister, bro. <laughs> yeah, right. But I also wonder, is that like a nod to the show Dark Shadows, which also has some of those themes <laughs> and, and is also horror and vampire stuff, which would really fit with a lot of the stuff. Going I doubt on it, but it's episode. probably because you have a brilliant mind that you can make that connection. <laughs> <laughs> So let's go on to the next one. McCall's favorite. Yeah. So McCall, what's of bast of banquets, bastards, and betrayals, which very much corresponds to a question of price. What made this one your favorite, McCall? Well, I think I had a similar reaction to it when I read the the short story, which is that like, you know, we're kind of in this world. We're 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 getting ourselves oriented. We we're meeting people. Like we you know start to understand where things are going. Um, and this kind of starts to show us why we're here and it, it starts to, you know, uh, for one thing, like I love anytime characters collide. So like when you have Calanthe and East and Geralt and Yaskir, um, all, and Malsak all, you know, coming together and, and having a chance to actually talk. Um, it's, it's really exciting. And also just Yaskir is like hilarious in this episode. I love him so much. It's just <laughs> yeah. like a very, you know, it's a very fantasy fairy tale kind of story. I think it's interesting that they contrast it with maybe the darkest storyline in the show so far, um, which is the, the Ballad of the Dead Baby. <laughs> um, Ooh, but yeah. yeah, that's really <laughs> intense. Um, and I can even honestly, I have I have a lot of sympathy even for the mom. Um, in that in that case, because like obviously, you know, it's a shitty th thing to want to, you know, sacrifice your daughter so you can survive. But at the same time, you can imagine like what she's been through, like giving birth time after time after time, and having it come to literally nothing, and like being so undervalued that her husband is just gonna have her murdered in the middle of nowhere. Um, so I, I have a lot of sympathy for that character, even though she's probably not like a great person. Um, I agree. Yeah. Like she's like that one of those people that's like you're in a gilded cage. Everyone looks at her and thinks she has a great life, but she's basically a prisoner. She's just dressed nicely and gets to eat good food, you know, and mm. and all that. But like you can tell, she looks at Yennefer, goes, "I envy you so much." And Yennefer's like, "What now?" <laughs> so yeah. they both like they both aren't seeing. They're both looking at the grass as greener type. Like it's yeah, they both don't see the the downside of of the other, you know. <laughs> and you can see the discomfort also with um series mom right like they they kind of oh, in a yeah. similar situation right like they're royalty but royalty isn't all as cracked up to be yeah and yeah yeah i love how calanthe's like slowly losing the argument even as she's lording it over pivet is like you're gonna get married because blah 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 pivet is like like yeah but like this and that and calanthe's like okay well he's not so bad okay well it's not that okay well <laughs> you know, it's like okay he won't smell that bad okay he won't like it's like what siri says in the book siri says it's like when siri is trying to in the book she's trying to reconcile what she's been told is attractive in a man with what she actually feels and she's like well what i've been taught is that if attractive man is huge hairy always smells like horses dogs and beer <laughs> And he's loud. It's like, that's considered attractive and Cintra. But she's like, 
I never really got that because <laughs> she's looking at she she makes this comparison when looking at Yara, right? <laughs> and she's like kind of into him, but he's so not like that. She's confused. <laughs> so it's, it's just really touching. Like it made me think of that with Pavetta because Pavetta's like, I don't want to marry any of these losers. Like they all suck. Are you kidding me? <laughs> What's so great about this episode too is that. Um, Mikhail, you can bounce off this too. It's is that we get to see characters like Ike and Kalantha and uh, Pavetta take center stage, right? We see them die. Uh, we see Kalantha and Ike die, right? Like that's like, that's a big thing. So getting to see kind of uh, some of the wheels turning for why these characters make the decisions that they make is really interesting, right? It gives us insight and perspective onto why these characters are the way they are. And I think that that's a really interesting thing to have in an episode for sure. Yeah, and I mean, even practically, this just confirms the time jumping and mm-hmm. kind of gives us a solid point to kind of, you know, okay, so this we know that this, when yeah. Siri is conceived, you know, we it, it makes things a little bit more compact and less complicated, which I, I, which think, I appreciate. Yeah. I think that's the consensus too. Like my cousin was watching the show, for example, and he's like, oh, I finally got it around this episode. I kind of started to make sense of things. It's like, uh, okay, there's the multiple timelines and this is kind of when things are converging and this is why they're telling this story now. And then going forward, you can kind of see how things progress. And I think um, I can see why it's your favorite episode. It's definitely one of the best episodes of the season. It's, it's got a mix of everything that you want. It's got the the fairy tale elements of it. It's got the the great storytelling it's got the backstory it's got the kind of predictive nature of like the law of surprise things that we're going to learn about in the future it's got all the great elements of the witcher story in this particular episode and story yeah and also just calanthe being like so shitty to the Nilfgaardian ambassador like just <laughs> casts a whole different light on that whole thing like not not that that behavior would justify a horrific genocide of of Sintra, but like you, you do get that, like, oh, maybe this isn't just like a they hate us, so they're attacking us type of thing. Like, there's, there's doing more, a couple more things going on here. Yeah. And, and while that's happening, right, she's, you have Siri running away from the sack of, of, of Sintra by Nilfgaard. So you know that you get to see like they're laughing at Nilfgaard, but now Nilfgaard has come back big time, strong and powerful. It's like, and, hey, bitch, I'm back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, oops, like, I guess maybe we shouldn't have mocked you quite so much. It talks about how the usurper is still in power. Like, that's mentioned. The usurper is in power during that scene where they're mocking the suitor. And that's part of why they're mocking him. They're like, kings just fall like rain down there. Y'all can't keep any sort of consistency down there. Which, having read the books, it's she's probably exaggerating. Because it's not like, it went from Emhir's father to the usurper to Emhir. Like, there wasn't this turnstile at the throne. Maybe the show canon does have that, but I think maybe they're just saying that to mock them, which is ironic given that she gets ejected and her line is deposed from uh, Sintra as well. And there's this really good scene where they show, they cut back from the, the party when it's kind of ending and they show the flag of Nilfgaard from a distance and Sintra is all whole and, the, and it cuts falls farther back farther back and then the flag blocks the screen and it's the Nilfgaard flag blocking the whole screen and then it moves forward again and Sintra's on fire and it's you're you're right there and Sintra series having her nightmare so it's really I thought that was really well done just showing like kind of framing it all like this is this is that time passing I also think this kind of relates to what we were talking about earlier too the fanaticism we talked about how that's going to be more prevalent like Look at how much power they gain in such a short time. Like the idea of incepting something into someone's mind, like a religious 
idea, look at what happened. Nilfgaard completely is cleaning the continent. Like they are the ultimate power. No one can stop them essentially. Yeah, like one of the big is what's really interesting is that I didn't and I hadn't noticed this before is is, is using Fringilla as an example because Fringilla is like this friendly, nice, like she's the one that when Taseya is going around the room saying what they did to get noticed magically, she's like, "You froze a cat," and to, and and Fringilla is like by accident. It was by accident. She didn't want people to think she was a cat freezer or whatever like she's sensitive about it but here like fast forward later she's like Nilfgaard has given me a purpose and she's stabbing a dude just to read his entrails after he eats Kalanti's skin it's like whoa this is not the girl that was sorry about freezing a cat anymore is it wow so I think that's kind of an under the radar thing and especially because her uncle didn't want her to go there. He's like, Artorius is like, I don't want her to go down there, but he didn't want her to go down there for a completely different reason. He's like, no one with ambition wants to go to Nilfgaard. Whoops. <laughs> we see how trauma shapes people differently, right? Like Frangilla changed into becoming a commander of the white flame. Like she was this nice, empathetic, compassionate person. And now she's basically an attack dog for an emperor who is basically claiming power over the whole continent. Like that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big change i would think in yeah. philosophy but anger can do a lot of things to people yep so um a couple other odds <laughs> and ends here uh we got covered in filth at the beginning which again is just showing us how you get the little bits of shard of ice scattered throughout different episodes prior episode had naked yennefer this one has naked Geralt. the famous uh bath scene that he apparently like didn't eat for a week before doing that scene and they yes. like have to hydrate i mean like it's honestly never be an actor he didn't guys. hydrate for a week or he yeah, hydrated yeah. like as little as possible i believe so his pores would be open or something yeah you're right like the things actors and actresses do to like look his veins were like popping out he's already jacked enough he's like yeah yeah i'm good looking but i'm not that good looking all the time like no this is human (laughs) you know (laughs) it's like come on man i'm a human being god that would be (laughs) such a headache also sorry yeah for real like (laughs) okay so that was queen callus who gets killed right of lyria queen callus of lyria and her child is killed right we know there's a king of Lyria in that moment because he's the one apparently who has the who arranges the assassination. And by the way, I think that's an Idir, uh, the the creature, which we see in a season of storms. So their season of storms is a midquel. So they jumped ahead to use that, but it actually timeline wise, this is about this is about right. So fast forward to the, to the main novels. Who is queen of Lyria? It's Meef. So what exactly happened there? We, I think what happened is Meeve is the one that marries this king after Callus is killed by this assassin and then he dies later. And so she becomes queen in her own right. Either We're that or her, yeah. either that or they're making a little bit of a joke about how she keeps having girls and they, well, Laria ends up with a queen. <laughs> so I'm going to go with that. Character. I would love it if it was one of her daughters. I feel like it's long enough in the past. It's maybe oh no it's only 15 years maybe not but hey yeah. kyle you know you mentioned this before when we uh ta- one thing you noticed that i i didn't catch but i was looking for it the last time i watched was you noticed the mosaic on the floor in this episode is very like spheres yeah yeah that's a really great detail that's really cool good job show because <laughs> um one well one thing that we want don't want to spoil too much is that the conjunction of spheres is very much something like we see with um if you guys have ever watched thor dark world where the different worlds are open up the aesir is opening up and there's kind of these monsters or uh 
other beings that can enter through different portals. And basically um, the conjunction of the spheres is a big thing. I, we're, I think we're actually going to see it in the blood origin prequel, I believe. So that's going to be really interesting oh, or at nice. least the remnants of it. This is important because we know that uh, this, this character and Pavetta end up having Siri and that's where, you know, she pukes on the floor and she's like, I'm pregnant. And Geralt has the law of surprise. So yeah. the conjunction <laughs> of spheres and the prophecy and all of that relates to Siri's storyline and big magic thing. So I thought that that was a really cool detail for them to have there being like, ah, this is pretty important. I think there's one other little detail that I appreciated um, in the books, Adelia and then Calanthe and then Pavetta and Siri all have green eyes and ash blonde hair. Now in the show, they went with Calanthe just having her. That's the actress's natural hair color. And they didn't bother to change it, which is fine. I like that change mm-hmm. because she's the only one that doesn't have magic of the one. So it's just like the, the one who had the ones who had ash blonde hair are the, are the ones who have the like elven magic in them. Whereas that, that Calanthe had the activator gene, but not the, not the, actual ability to do magic so that was kind of cool which also fits thematically with what to say i was explaining to yennefer with the eel stuff like some this because you have magic in you doesn't mean you can perform magic but now that i can but still I, th- I think it makes it interesting because Calanthe does talk about it and we see Renfrey's hair isn't blonde either and Siri's hair really sticks out. So they're really kind of pointing, trying to point out to us, okay, Siri's blonde of hair, you know, okay, guys, yeah. pay attention, you know, but really, yeah, right. I, I think, I think Mikal's right with uh, not saying the show watchers are stupid or anything, but it's easier to kind of just make that, okay, this character has really, really light blonde platinum hair. Like this is a character that's special, you know? Well, the, yeah, there, it's a visual marker in a TV show when it's just a description in a book, you're not constantly reminded of. It, you know yeah, so it's not exactly. like there all the time so like yeah visual markers just mean a lot more in a when you when it's a show so yeah i think you're totally right about that bottled appetites yeah let's do that one bottled appetites <laughs> i saw someone mention in the chat they stopped because of the sex orgy <laughs> 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 it was like well, i don't blame you <laughs> it's a it's a strong taste I think it was real YT that said that. <laughs> let's let's start with Siri here because we didn't really talk about Siri last time. Uh, she's having nightmares. Dara drinks the water, and you can totally get why he drinks the water. He wants to forget. He tells Siri, he's like, "Look, Princess Siri," because he finds out she's princess right then. He didn't know that before. He's like, "Look, your grandmother slaughtered my family. I'm the only one who survived," and she's struggling to accept that it's true. At first, she's like, that can't be true. He's like, I was there. It happened to me. And she just becomes kind of speechless because she's like, wow, my grandmother did what now? Like she's did. Oh, my God. She's she can't process it. But then Dara drinks the water and he forgets. And he's like, yep, I get rid of all those bad memories. You should do that, too. And then just like sort of destiny, the water doesn't work on her. There you go. I'm a little sad that we didn't get Geralt's awesome conversation with Ithne because it's really really strong it's a really good part of that short story but hey they couldn't send they couldn't do Geralt and Broccolon without moving a whole lot of other things around I kind of understand from an adaptation point why he didn't go there but I still lament the loss of that great scene (laughs) we want as much as we can (laughs) (laughs) so the Doppler uh, that was an interesting way to solve this plot issue okay here says you can't send an army into broccolon like one of his subcommanders like we can send 10 or twelve thousand men into broccolon and he's like shut up <laughs> he literally says shut up <laughs> he's like that's not the way to go into broccolon 
damn it. He's like mad because he's like, yeah, we got to do something weird to do it. And so a couple of homages in the scene. I know a lot of if you're like me, you were a little disappointed that they made this psycho Doppler instead of the cool, clever, happy, dainty Bibbervelt. But at least Kay here says, you're not like other Dopplers, are you? Not helpful or good. <laughs> you know, and he's like, what can I do for you? You know, I like the touch of call him calling himself we because he takes multiple forms and it makes him creepier. Yeah. Um, and he was dressed in red, which I thought was a nice touch because remember, that's the thing. He makes bank in the short story off of red dye. So I thought that was kind of a neat little touch to make him be dressed in bright red when the scene starts. And then he quickly just gets naked and his clothes are forgotten about. But <laughs> you, know, you can see all his jars of ears and other human parts. It's like, oh, man, this guy's a collector. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> It kind of makes sense that a species pushed to the brink by humans would hate humans. So, like, I kind of get that much, but it doesn't mean he has to be a total psycho. But anyway. Yeah. You're total psychos. Is this the first episode where we really get, like, okay, here is different than in the books? Pretty much. Because, like, the only change before this is that he's clearly higher rank because he was leading the army at the Battle of Marnadal Stairs and Amel Pass. And he, he's the one who kills Iced with the arrow to the eye. So those are smallish changes to the overall plot. But yeah, but this is, yeah, it starts to become a bigger change. Like he's definitely higher ranked. He's definitely a, a factor of the law of conservation of Nilfgaardian officers. <laughs> <laughs> there was, there, I, I, will, I will point out this because someone is pointing it out in chat. Macro, one of our friends over in Europe, says, I want Bokeh here. The show one is just blah. I do agree with you. I think Bokeh here, there's just a great amount of layers to this character. I do think we're going to get some of that in season two. I keep on harping on that. And I think he's going to be one of those characters that we're going to get. He's going to get more screen time, um, that he's going to have a bigger POV. I think he will have a pretty big impact in season two. That's just my kind of guess. Yeah, I'm yeah. real curious. I'm curious, but I have no idea. I'm hope I hope you're right. What do you think, McCall? I mean, I've said this before, but I and they are doing the whole like starting him here so that we can get him here. I, sense. you know, because the character does go through a lot of shit in the books and like yeah. once you realize who he really is in the books, you're not like happy about that, you know, as opposed right. to it being kind of like a character growth thing which is fine like I, I think that's totally valid I love Kate in the books but I that's the only explanation I can think of for having him like literally slaughter innocent people for no reason yeah, I think it's, it's kind of uh, like Fringilla I think he's bought into this white flame prophecy I think maybe that maybe that's the thing that he'll realize is not as true as he's been told maybe he'll get a little Geralt in him where Geralt Geralt's a little too far Geralt goes too far with like it's all bull none of these prophecies have any merit whatsoever you know where it's like ah don't go that far Geralt <laughs> man there's a little something to these things but they're just open they are open to interpretation and you definitely shouldn't listen to the Emperor of Nilfgaard's interpretation of it but other people's yeah. interpretations and, and not Stragoboards either, but other people's, yeah, maybe, maybe the other interpretations might be a little something in there. But anyway, I think that's the thing. I think he's caught up in this whole white flame business. And if he breaks free of that, well, who knows? Mikhail I mean, makes I, a really great, Mikhail makes a really great point, And I think it relates to what we talked about for fanaticism. I'm going to bring it up again. I think they're making it more extreme so we can have more redemptive elements in characters like Fringilla and K here. Cause once we see that what they're going through behind the scenes and what they have to deal with and how powerful a certain person is, I think that that will change our perception on, oh, this person is just doing this because 
their this rank or whatever. The, then we're going to come to understand, hey, we don't necessarily agree with their decisions, but we may understand why they had to make them. I do think that there's potential for making the like when Kay here and Geralt finally meet, like having that meeting with maybe Kay having gone through a lot more, that could be really juicy and interesting. Yeah, I agree. I'm very curious. I, I think you guys have some really good ideas on what they might be, what she might be thinking. She meaning Lauren Hisrich with her plans for this, but um. I also the the thing I agree with the strongest is that it'll probably end up where the books end up in a lot of not one to one, but it, it, even though we're getting there in a different way, I think we'll probably still end up with a lot of that same stuff. So it seems awfully different now, but it may not seem that way later. As far as the actual like Jen and Last Witch wish stuff, it seems pretty tightly hewn to the books. The book is short story, mm-hmm. like just the, the the core elements of that they're meeting. It's pretty well captured, I thought. Do you guys agree? Or Yeah, I think it was really good. Yeah, no, I do. Also, as people were talking about like not liking the Geralt can't sleep thing. Yeah. I agree it's a little random, but I did watch in preparation for this like a, a couple of, you know, season recaps. And I think it was maybe New Rocks New Rockstars or something like that. Their take was that Geralt this is the first time Geralt is actively running away from Siri. So he's running against destiny for the first time. And so that is kind of like, and, and obviously p- part of his thing with Yennefer is destiny. Um, mm-hmm. So like that might be like a, you know, kind of a, a cosmic sort of punishment that he can't sleep because he is, he should be in Sintra and he is not. And then he meets the love of his life and he's knocked out. She's like, <laughs> he passed out already, man. <laughs> you know because yeah, when he leaves, when he leaves Sintra, Malsack is like, dude, you're leaving you can't mess with destiny like this like if you don't come back or if you don't take care of your business we're all gonna suffer badly he's like Consequences, no man. we won't <laughs> he's like you fool. The fucking ground, man. <laughs> yeah he's like you foolish fool mouse sack nothing's gonna happen <laughs> Whoops. it's like famous <laughs> last words right <laughs> also the end of this episode is like word for word from the the end of the last wish and i i love that so much it's like it, it really is kind of a scene from the books just right like brought to life with them thinking that they're destroyed and then looking in the window and seeing like oh oh no okay <laughs> they're doing something else <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah i thought this was one of the episodes that was uh, as far as adaptations go, it was pretty accurate. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. A lot of the as images as like... popped, and I was like, "Yes, this is so good." <laughs> yeah, it was it was good. I, I liked it. it definitely, there were. I, I definitely agree with the the criticisms of the opening scene with the sleeping thing, and like, how does like says, How does he know there was even a genie in that lake? Like, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm with you there. Like, that's weird. Uh, also, no, I want to add something to that. Like, I, I agree with you. Or or shout out to new rock stars or whoever it was that you got that idea from that's a good good take but also let's just be let's let's think logistics here they couldn't do the book scene they can't do this weird fishing like cartoon being pulled around on a boat thing that would cost a lot of money not saying you have to land on there's a genie in this lake that's not where you have to go given that fish scene would have been really expensive to film like filming a boat scene you know but still we could at least say that much that I see the convenience. <laughs> I see the convenience of it being corny. I see why people I, I do I do get why people see that though. 
rare species. This was your favorite uh, short story in the books, Aziz. Yeah, I really like this one because it's the one, it's super tight with the themes and like every character, like main characters all have something huge in common. Yennefer, Geralt, and Villain Trettenmurth are all like on the same page what they're trying to do. It's just that Villain Trettenmurth is farther along and he sets them on, he gives them purpose and they both badly needed that. One of them, he's like, you look, Siri hasn't, or Yennefer hasn't gotten that far yet, but she doesn't realize that she doesn't have to have her own child to be a mother. You can be a mother or a mother figure to somebody else. And that's just as fulfilling or almost as fulfilling or in the ballpark, similar enough. It doesn't have to be a child of your body. And Geralt's like, I'm aimless. I have no purpose. And, and villain Trenton was like, dude, if you had a kid to take care of, let me tell you, there's a lot of purpose in that. Like, Hey, like me, look at me, new dad. I've got an egg to take care of. Let me tell you from experience, this gives me purpose. This gives me a reason to live, which is a really huge central theme to the entire Witcher universe found family instead like family is a big part of so many stories that have been written ever all time family is one of the core elements so i really love that the witcher is about found family about adopted family about the people you make your family rather than your blood family because it's similar but it doesn't get enough ink and screen time compared to the more standard traditional family scenarios that permeate every show and book and movie like almost exclusively so i very that's part of why i'm so fond of this one is it really dials into that and does it so well and I do have criticism to this episode. I thought the action was weak, but that's fine. I don't care because season one, they don't have much of a budget for it. I don't care that the dragon was wonky looking. That's a budget thing, too. They We already can tell season two is going to have better budget. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, like, I'm just better. not too worried about that. But, yeah, definitely. I'm... I don't think that was supposed to be the focus of season one anyways. It gets way no. better as, it's, as the seasons go on, as the seasons will go on. Yeah, like I don't, I just didn't, I don't, I didn't see the need to make Yennefer into a warrior. Also, you know, out of all, it's like, mm. it's, it's not like she's taken on guys who are professional fighters. Like, eh, it's a little wonky, you know, she's, I think they wanted kind of like a, being a yeah. sword. War. I think that was budget too. Like they don't want her sitting there casting spells when the, it's just much easier to film her swinging a sword twice, you know? <laughs> I think they also wanted her and Geralt as like a, a tandem team up before the breakup type deal. Like as more of them being together, like fighting together, like side by side, more of them having more in common than not as well. That's definitely a sad part of this episode too, yeah. right? He takes out his frustrations on Jaskier and then we don't see him again. <laughs> He's not going to be and back. That was my main trip. thing when, when I finished episode eight, I was like, well, where's Jaskier? <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't any more of him for two whole episodes. So he's in five episodes. He's not in episode one, seven, or eight. So hopefully he's I'm in. I'm going to need him to be in all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. That's such a meek out thing to say. We didn't, by the way, we didn't shout out. We didn't shout out that he actually learned how to play that lute. Like he plays the lute. Like boss. Yeah, well, he, he actually, he might have learned it, I think, for, um, he was in Bring Up the Bodies, the, uh, the, Hilary Mantel adaptation on Broadway oh. and, and West End, and he had to play a lute for that. So it, that might have been where he learned to play a lute. Of all I things. bet he didn't. I bet he never realized how big that would come up in his casting. Yeah, right. He's like, dude, I play the lute already. Like, you do? Oh, <laughs> you're in the final. You're on the final group here. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> just to give a two second defense for Yennefer sword fighting, um, which I get. I get the objection too. I I too like characters to kind of stay in their skill lane. 
but like uh, Anthony Shaddix has just pointed out, and I was feeling this also that like she's been alive for a really long time. Like it's not crazy to think she would have been bored at one point and been like, you know what? I'm gonna take up sword fighting. Like why? Hey, fair point. Fair point. Yeah. She in the last episode she complains about, or the one before it, she complains about three decades of politics, just boring. Yeah, yeah. Why not do a little sword training in the, during that three decades of boring ass politicking? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah, it fits. It's definitely not a. I, I couldn't push that complaint too far, uh, and I won't. So yeah. <laughs> Ryan Burns has the hashtag. Let's get it going right now. Hashtag Joey Beatty. Come on the pod. Oh my god. I'm <laughs> guys we're gonna have to do a lot more work to make that happen i think but we can yeah maybe after season two we could try to or during yeah maybe we could do that yeah a lot of these guys they'll come on they'll come on shows you know you never know (laughs) we got some special things in store (laughs) come on to the podcast do joey (laughs) baby you are a sexy man let's talk about the witcher (laughs) play your lute for our listeners (laughs) (laughs) <sighs> Will well, now he's never coming on. So. <laughs> yeah, these right. guys suck at singing. We ruined How it. Can I come on. <laughs> we ruined it just like that. One other bit of of this episode, Siri. You know, the Doppler mouse act talks about the law of surprise like it comes up, you know, like she's quizzing him, like what do you like? She's kind of suspicious, but doesn't figure it all out. The Doppler has a falling out with K here. And this is part of why I think Ahir's obsession with the white flame is, is part of the change to his character that will probably be undone later, but maybe not. Is because even the Doppler is like, you guys with this white flame prophecy are crazy. <laughs> He's like, I, this stuff is nuts to me. Like, even the Doppler is like, this stuff is going too far. Like, the psycho flesh collector is like, y'all are nuts here with this white flame stuff. <laughs> so that that says, that's, that's kind of telling when the psycho even thinks you're going too far. <laughs> Yep. White Flame is nutty, but excited to get to see. One thing we I did point out earlier, a lot of people harpened on the CGI in this episode. That's going to be fixed for season yeah. two. Yeah. They got more money. They got that bigger bang. I wonder how much larger the budget was. I don't think we know that yet. Netflix but... tossed the coin. Definitely. Yeah. They tossed some big old coins, right? Because they got some they got some downloads. I mean, that's a download. They got some streams. They got 100 million streams or whatever they got. I don't know how many it was, but it was a huge number. That was over 75 million. I know that much. Yeah. Um, one thing I'll say, I think I've heard that there's supposed to be less nudity in season two. And like this episode is maybe a good example of a little too much. Yennefer <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> is just like all out there like for so long. And she, I mean, to, I, I a thousand percent give Anya Charlotra. Anya Charlotra. Yeah. Yeah. So much credit. Cause she has to like actually act like it's not just, like she's doing a lot of stuff and she's buck naked. Um, so, yeah. you know, yeah, true that after the Witcher came out, I think it was three or four months later, she was the number one rated actress on IMDb. So that's, that seems to be like a thing, right? What you're talking about McCall with like a lot of th- times you see a show start off with nudity and then dr- back it off. Partly because the actors, partly because they they're trying to get more attention, but also I think the actors start to push back. They're like, "Look, you can't replace us now, so we don't we don't want to be naked anymore." <laughs> like, but when you're telling me I got to be naked to be in this show, I'm like, "Okay." But if once I got the role, I could start saying, "No, I don't want to be naked." I mean, Amelia Clark, perfect example. She mm-hmm. was naked the first few seasons. She's like, "No more of that." And uh, and there's and. Black Sails, yeah. another example. There was Black Sails had more sex in the first five episodes than the probably the entire four season run. And I know there's more examples out there, but you guys probably know what I'm talking about, so I don't think I need more examples. 
But Lauren Hisrich is a pretty a pretty good communicator, and I think that uh, she also takes a lot of feedback from the community, and that was something that people were definitely talking about. And it looks like they're going to address it. So I mean, yeah, and I'm yeah. I'm not saying that like nudity is like wrong to have it in the show. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Jennifer and Gerald have sex a lot, and that's great because it's part of their dynamic and whatever. Um, Geralt sometimes has sex with anything that moves, which is part of his <laughs> dynamic. <laughs> you know? um, but like, yeah, I, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is scenes like this where it's really more about the magic than it is about like anything sexual. Um, it's, it's like, uh, it's something that I would, yeah, hope that it would be less. Ryan Byrne says, "Sex, okay. Now that we have your attention, here's the story." <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's- Pretty much what I was getting at. Well said, Ryan. (laughs) Before... Yeah, before fall. So let's talk about this a little bit. There's just more. This is something I noticed, like really focusing on this white flame stuff. It's just everywhere that I didn't realize it was everywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, more than half of my Witcher brain is in book canon. So I think maybe this is something that's going to happen with Istra too. While wandering about kind of aimless, this is when Yennefer is seeking purpose in life. She goes back to Istra and is like, hey, maybe we should fire it up again. And it doesn't go very well. But that's not what I'm getting at. I'm getting at the part is he's like, hey, it's great to work for Nilfgaard. I get to research the all these do all these excavations. And he's talking about the prophecy, though. He's like this thing I'm excavating gives us information on the prophecy, the white flame prophecy. So and he says that's part of that. So it's basically framed as part of his loyalty to Nilfgaard is that they're investigating this prophecy and doing these things that have been sold to them as important or that certain wizards or other people think is important. So they're really adding that up a lot more. And I think that's interesting. So it may, may not be just like people like Kay here and Fringilla that are caught up in it. It may be like Istrid may get really caught up in it too. And as a character that has a much lesser role in the books, there's a lot more room to do stuff with him without us being able to guess or predict or, or know at all. So that's pretty cool. And I'm, I'm just a sucker for fantasy archaeology so just like anything that touches on like ancient excavations and all that i just i'm i'm my eyes i perk up i'm like ooh, what's this so i thought that was really neat ancient civilizations mythology anything relating to that connecting to yeah man yeah (laughs) ancient ancient knowledge man (laughs) oh my god i have i have such a book series for you guys oh yeah, um, A Natural History of Dragons by Marie Brennan. Oh, okay. It's, I've never uh, heard of it. It's basically like, yeah, yeah it's me, really good. Yeah it's me. basically like <laughs> dragonology. In, if, if dragons existed in Victorian times, the people were like, let us try and study these creatures. And like, there's also archaeology and ancient civilizations. And dragons like are exquisite. <laughs> by the way, speaking of dragons and alternate places with dragons, the actor who plays uh, Artorius, you know, Fringilla's uncle, well, he was in the number one all-time post-apocalyptic dragon film, which is Reign of Fire. <laughs> Love <laughs> that movie. The only post-apocalyptic dragon film. No, no, no. It's the number one post-apocalyptic dragon film of all time. Matthew McConaughey is such a <laughs> He's so hilarious now. in that movie. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I am fond of that movie, even though I, I can't go around recommending it, but I'm unusually fond of that movie, despite it being not. That it's movie. just so <laughs> over the it's top. It's weird. 
It is. It is strange. But I, I do. I, anyway, let's not talk about it. But it's <laughs> I, I appreciate some of the things it did outside of the main plot that, that made the world feel kind of authentic and all that. But anyway, so Siri, had, her part of the adventure is her former friends try to kidnap her. People that she was playing dice with. Those people try to, like, sell her for ransom, which I think is in the books also. Um, or at least is referred to like off page, maybe I forget exactly. And she starts to like have her prophecy ramblings again. She does her um, falls into a trance and is basically saying some of the exact same things K here said last episode in episode six, like the white flame, the time of contempt, the time of sword and axe and all that is like, oh boy, that's coming out. It really uh, broadcasting all that stuff. So that's that's pretty interesting. And then on the Geralt side of things, we see it's kind of a flashback to just before episode before the banquet stuff where he sees the army coming. He sees them marching. He realizes he has to act because of the law surprise. And that's where we find out that Geralt was there all along. He was in prison. Calanthe had captured him and, and stashed him away rather than allowing him to run off with Siri. And then, of course, as she's dying. She changes her mind. And that's when we get the scene. This is also from the books where she tries to lie to Geralt about what happened and it doesn't work because she sees Siri. He sees Siri like playing dice and that connects the dot when Siri is playing dice in that first episode and she looks and there's nobody there. And she's like, huh, what was that? You know, it kind of connects all that. So that's kind of cool. It like ties together a lot of the confusing timeline elements. This episode and the next one do a lot of that. We get the intro of fake Siri. Which I hope Ooh, they bring yeah. back. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So I think this one hues pretty well to, despite the, just other than the stuff we just went over, it, it hues very well to what's the purpose of Sword of Destiny, which is even though it's very different in terms of it's not in Broccolon, it doesn't involve Ithne, it doesn't involve like a lot of these, you know, Siri doesn't meet Geralt yet. Because in the books, obviously, Siri, Siri and Geralt meet twice. He rejects her, runs away, and then they meet again. And he's like, all right. I really can't deny it this time. <laughs> I just keep bounce running into her in the most random places. I guess this destiny stuff is real. So Geralt needs a little more convincing in the books. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that they discluded that. And I think that was the biggest gripe from the whole community for season one. I think this was the biggest talked about thing that was not included in season one because it creates a bigger contrast because Geralt decides instead of Geralt just running to Siri at the end of the season, there's this conflict before that. Right. So yeah. we're missing that, but I I'm interested to see how maybe, maybe they'll create some more conflict in the first couple of episodes before they get to Cameron or something like that to kind of make up for that. I have. I yeah. So, cause I think that obviously, um, Siri being with Geralt for a grain of truth will be interesting. And that's something that doesn't happen. So we'll, we'll see what happens and what kind yeah. of how they make up for that. But I think they'll do a good job. I think they tried to replace it with like Mousesack's like really heartfelt warning, which mm. you know takes the place of some of that. Followed by Geralt himself being the one to witness the Nilfgaard army coming, which is like, oh, he's like, oh, damn, <laughs> whoops. Uh, so yeah, so it kind of hits him from a different angle rather than he gets de destiny is confirmed to him through different means than two encounters with Siri. So it's just you know they decided to vary it up a little bit, which is fine. I don't, I don't, I don't have any problem with that change. Uh, I, but I respect that other people didn't like it as much. <laughs> I just want to kind of add, it was cool to kind of go back again, get a little bit more flashback, get to see some of these great characters that we won't be seeing in the future. And uh, yeah, just gives 
kind of better insight into the past. Oh, actually, there is one other important thing in this episode. We have the introduction of Vilgeforts, and there's more of the uh, the council, because this is when Artorius is around again, and they're actually making big decisions. This is when Yennefer is brought back into politics, but it's not just boring politics. It's war between Nilfgaard and Sintra, and the, the council is deciding how to proceed, what side to take. And uh, none of them have really talked about the White Flame stuff. They did bring up the Curse of the Black Sun, which I thought was interesting, because it's like a counter... It's like a which is not done in the books very much. And I think this is a smart choice because they're like, look, you got Stregobor, this guy who's been introduced as a sort of a BS propagandist about or, or a sketchy reciter of prophecy. He's like, maybe this Curse of the Black Sun stuff, maybe this is some somewhat bull. Maybe Stregobor is exaggerating, right? So framing that with this white flame stuff it makes it interesting. Like, oh, maybe this is going to be framed as kind of bull bird also or, or exaggerated. So I don't know if that's what they're going to do. But having that character be so prominent and having that be mentioned to say is like, what, tired of locking up, you know, too many princesses locked up in towers for you or whatever, something like that. And he's like, he doesn't say anything, but uh, it's very similar. And I, I like that they draw this connection out because the books, the books don't really they don't need to. The books doesn't need to do that. But it's nice that they are doing it here because um, it's more uh, it, it, they're clearly trying to make the prophecy stuff bigger earlier. Um, Anthony has a great point. I love context building in the show. It makes understanding history easier in the long term. I definitely agree well with that. Well said. I guess we're moving on to much more. The final yeah, the one. Most, the, the most similarly named, I guess, much more to something more, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quick summary. Geralt and Siri have, they meet, of course. He has the same flashbacks that he has in the book version, you know, um, with uh seeing his mother but i think they hit harder uh having actors do these lines having his little child Geralt being like mama mama is like ooh, that that makes it painful (laughs) you you know and you see henry cable going through his like fever dream good acting really makes this all work better i think yeah like this is the kind of stuff that an author struggles to capture like the talented actor because there's a physicality to it that you can actually see right yeah so this is super good yeah and that's Yorin. Yurga is Yorin, if y'all missed it. That's the same <laughs> actor playing Yorin. Yay. <laughs> Sorry, Mikhail, go ahead. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I, I'll just say, like, I, I think what I love about this is that ultimately it's about people helping each other. You know, mm. it's about Jennifer deciding to to help, you know, the the non-magical population and, and all of the, the, the wizards who participated in the Battle of Sodden. And it's about you know, Geralt helping Yurga and Yurga helping Geralt and the way that comes together in, you know, in Siri. I think, I, I think that was very well framed in this episode. Plus it was really satisfying to see Yennefer just like finally cut loose because you don't think of her as restraining herself so much. Like she doesn't seem like someone who's keeping herself in a box, but then once kind of to say it suggests that she has been, it's kind of like, Oh, yeah, you're right, actually. (laughs) All throughout this episode, I've been mentioning that there's a lot of things that were actually off screen in the book. This is the headliner, though. The Battle of Sodden Hill was not in the books uh, on screen. It certainly happened in the books. It's a huge deal in the books as well as it is here, but it does not happen on page. The entire battle has already happened while Geralt's just in the cart, you know, going toward Yorga's farm. So... Yeah, this seeing it, you're right. Like seeing Yennefer cut loose is one of the one of the best parts of it. Um, Yennefer, her pathos, like she's so aimless. 
she doesn't have kids she's, you know she has she doesn't have relationships so she's kind of ready to die for the cause so to speak she's got a purpose here to like stop Nilfgaard or, or what have you and also like from from anyone who's read the books you know that fire magic is kind of a big deal it's a little bit more uh scary and uncontrollable than than the other forms of magic and when like Jennifer is teaching Siri minor spoiler she's teaching Siri she's like that's the one you don't mess with like you start with earth and then water and air and and you, she basically doesn't broach the subject of fire at all you know it does come up it's later, real chaos magic as i always describe it that's yeah. yeah yeah so that's and and of course Nilfgaard is throwing fireballs at them too so um of with a lot more cost to the wielder over there on that side so anyway yeah I'll say the, the battle of sod is also like it's genuinely scary yeah because like you really get this like oh my god this is like a a, a fanatical onslaught you know and it's it's not in like you know that kind of battle in like the lord of the rings would be against like orcs or something which is plenty scary and really effective but like it's it, they, they're not human so like to have to have that coming from very recognizably human people um and to have people like fringilla and k here like kind of leading that is it was really like the part where she, the whatever magical brain worms like take over um the you know a couple people in in the fortress or whatever like i found that genuinely really upsetting because it's like that's exactly what you don't want to happen is like to have your own people turned against you i i dare say we we say that it's evil if you think about it there's necromantic elements about it like sacrificing your life to cause destruction is like that's pretty evil man like you're giving up your life to kill other people like that's pretty fucked up that's talk about fanaticism yeah like Mm. i also found just like the scene where tris is trying to grow a gateway with you know wooden gateway with the vines was just really powerful too like the way she's struggling and they're hacking at it it's just like really frantic and and enter like just captured the energy of how desperate that situation was. And yeah, I just thought it was really good. It was really strong, really strong. Like I'm not usually, you know, battle scenes, they're cool, but like a lot of times I'm like, eh, you know, that was good. But yeah, no, there's, this had more than that. This was better than your average battle scene. And I'm not talking about just action. Yeah. (laughs) It was much more, even the, like that, I don't know where it was filmed, but, or if it was CGI, but like the, the big deep ravine where this, the castle like blocked that passage was, that is cool looking. Really good. I I actually really hope it's. I'm glad you brought up Tris because I I really hope they kind of give a little more sunlight to the to some of the complicated stuff that happens there, like her name being on the plinth, but she's you know whatever. Mm. Um, and and kind of the implications that a lot of that is psychological. Um, that literally don't come into play until literally like the last two chapters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, completely. (laughs) So I I would love to see a little more of that because I, I mean, I, I love the actress. I think she, she looks beautiful and very like spring like, you know. It's interesting too. A a fun thing, even though Geralt has such a big moment, Siri and Geralt's meeting is is well done and, and powerful. It's kind of unusual that, that is sort of second fiddle to this huge battle. So it's like this main character, the two of the three main characters are have their own little thing going on, this sort of uh, squishy moment where there's this giant battle that's taking up most of the <laughs> most of the screen and, and action and attention of it all. It's kind of neat that Geralt, the, the Witcher, is not in this battle, you know, <laughs> neither is Ciri, uh, although they're fighting over territory that is very relevant to Ciri's 
homeland uh, still. And that's not, uh, yeah, I definitely don't want to give any spoilers, but it's not the only time that The Witcher is going to make a bold choice about having major events that don't necessarily involve many or any major characters, uh, just having them be important without the main characters being involved. And, and uh, Sapkowski is, takes chances that other authors don't take. And I don't know how big a chance they are. I'm not an author. I don't know how risky such a thing is, but I do recognize it as different because I've read plenty of books and don't see this kind of thing that often. It's one of the things I like about this series. Similar, but different. There's a lot to like. Uh, what were some of the things you guys thought were like the biggest changes? I'm sure there's plenty of things we could point to. I mean, a lot of that is just broke like, along for opinion. sure. Yeah. Brock Lon's a big one. Just from an overall uh, perspective, like I, I think uh, just to restate, I think it's interesting that they were usually with an adaptation, things get cut. There's too much. You can't do it all. And that did happen here in some cases, but they also just added a lot of things. A lot of things that were short in the books were fully expanded in the show and that's unusual and that's cool because like you get two versions of the canon well in the witcher there's like five versions of the canon if you take the different games and the card game and the other show and all that so anyway but setting that aside that's one of the things i like when you're exploring when you have multiple adaptations it's cool when you cover different ground because hey it's you get to cover different ground you see different angles from things you get to see more like it, it would be kind of boring if it was the exact same thing just with actors you know what i mean like you don't want to change too much because then it's like not the same story anymore <laughs> but uh we certainly leveled some criticisms but i think overall we were i give it very high marks not more than four marks <laughs> unless it's four out of five that might be about right but we, we've think? talked about this a couple times disease we thought that this was kind of like a a nice way to set up the Witcher story, but I think season two is good. I'm not going to say it's going to be much better than season one, but I think there's, I think it's going to be much more popular after season two with all the political elements, introductions of new characters with less time jumps and more kind of, um, I don't want to say linear story, but linear story. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah, it should be more linear. Overall thumbs up from everyone. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, we're here talking about it, so we must like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Macrofag brings up a point that I have in our notes here, too. The stuff about the, the change stuff to Eratusa, like, it's not really changed, more of filled in the blanks, like the eel stuff and the failed students and a lot of that stuff isn't changed from the books so much as an addition. It's just not, Sapkowski just doesn't cover it at all. It's a little odd. I don't dislike it, but I, I wouldn't say it was my favorite either. Uh, but I do like that they show this like attention to power uh and focusing on now that how they justify things through power it, just like politicians will not because i think it's good it's not it's un very unethical but it's realistic just like politicians would abuse the people below them or kings and queens would think very little of the people under their boot sorcerers yeah we hear them take these vows and not use their weapon not use their magic for bad things but we know they do i mean we got a freaking magical assassin with some magic bug creature he created so obviously there's rogues out there if not lots of them yeah which is something also i think they just do more of in the show the mechanisms of magic the cost of power is is made a little more clear both in a literal way like exercising of power and in a exercising of magic you know like what about changes to Geralt you guys have anything to say on that like one note I have here is 
you, Geralt's inner monologue is a pretty important part of the books, just like any adaptation. That's a challenge for to, for the showrunners to take an inner monologue and find ways to express that with an actor. So you have to have facial expressions. You have to have Geralt going hmm, and fuck and things like that. <laughs> like you got to do the best you can. But that's just something that always gets we just have to accept there's going to be some loss there based on the it gets made up later like we said like the child's voice and the acting of of really moving moments we get that instead so you know i think we get i think we kind of especially with gerald we get treated to more of like the way people in the books actually interact with him you know whereas like i i feel like you know in the in, not that he's like he doesn't think or narrate like excessively in the books but he doubt we definitely get a lot more of his internal monologue like you were saying and i think you know so we we have more context to when yaskir is like come on dum dum like start talking you know <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. you know i think i think this shows us a little more of that um and i think you know the idea i, I assume would be that Geralt will share more of his like i i think i think when the trailer came out i i said something like He's literally spoken more in this trailer than he has in the entire first season. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I I think it'll he'll 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 open up um, from time to time, and maybe some things will happen to make him shut down again, and that you know, that's also more good character tracking. I think uh, I agree with you. I think what they did was early in the season he had more dialogue, and that's that's something that we talk about a lot in the in our coverage of the short stories. Is we really like how dialogue heavy the witcher is in general there's so much dialogue there's so many conversations interesting conversations about philosophy about ethics about the exercise of power it's about great story yeah it's super it's so meta like stories within stories it's super good and they they captured some of it but i think it did fall off as the season went on like Geralt had really interesting conversations with renfrey he had some interesting maybe brief conversations with full test and triss and a few others but then yeah as the season goes on it gets a little more into the like resolving the story to get it in the place it needs to be to move forward tying all these major world events bringing yennefer's stuff together siri and Broccolon. like Geralt's just not a part of that you know so he's not having conversations with these people he's not having conversations with some of these things so yeah so i'm with you guys i want more of that but i'm very optimistic that we will in fact, I believe Henry Cavill even said in an interview that he's going to have more dialogue and they're going to bring more of his inner monologue out. They, they specifically made a point of, of that. So hopefully they, they succeed. <laughs> um, yeah, one thing I'll just say about that is like, you know, as, as we've noted uh, before, these books are written by someone who just does not give a fuck about format or like convention <laughs> or like whatever. So, so and and as people who are making a television show for Netflix, you have to give a fuck. So, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's very delicate balance to, to draw there. Well said. Yeah. Each episode has to sort of have a beginning, middle and end. It has to have some theme to it. They have to be episodic. We kind of sort of said that's the beginning, but yeah, just to restate that importance. I guess that's where I would leave it. I would say I'm very, very excited for what they're going to do. I think Lauren Hisrich, I don't necessarily agree with all of her changes, but I think she gets it, very clearly gets it. Uh, she's clearly a, a real fan of the books. And what I mean, real fan, I'm not, I don't mean that in like a gatekeeping way. I mean that she genuinely likes them. Like she's not, this wasn't like an opportunity for her to advance her career. She's a fan of the novels 
and wanted to do a good job. And I think a lot of that comes through. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I will say, I mean, not to, not to like preemptively apologize on behalf of the show, but I do think we do have to keep in mind that this was filmed over like a year and a half because of COVID and had to stop several times. And like, so I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm actually, this conversation got me a lot more hyped just a little, you know, in, in the run up to it. But I do also feel like we have to be like, okay, it's possible that there will be things that seem wonky or weird. And it's just because they're trying to make a TV show during COVID. And like, that's just the reality of it. True. Like basically if you see a crowd that should be a bigger crowd, <laughs> yeah yeah like that happened on the show foundation like no spoilers but like there's a scene where a bunch of people are shooting at a crowd and then it's like the bullets are just hitting the ground and there's just no one there anymore it's like where'd everybody go (laughs) it's like oh covid that's where they went (laughs) a lot of reason for optimism i think that's where we leave it yes thumbs up yeah a lot of more budget a lot more story to tell and uh it's been two years. I think people really want to see it. So it'll be good. <laughs> so yeah, that's our season one recap, review, breakdown, analysis of uh, The Witcher season one on Netflix. Of course, we're going to be doing some content when The Witcher season two drops. So you're going to make sure you can go check that out. If you go into the link in the description of the video, you can see our podcast, anchor.fm, the podcast is surprising. You can find all of our podcast episodes there. We've f- covered the first two books and we have a couple of special episodes and we're going to have some great content coming up. So if you want to learn more about The Witcher, I feel like our podcast is the place to go to learn about it because we got some awesome topics that we discuss, talk about fairy tales, all sorts of influences that Sapkowski is down with. And yeah, make sure you follow us on social media, the Pod of Surprise on Twitter, or you can join our Facebook page if you haven't checked us out there. Yeah. The Podcast of Surprise on Facebook. We have awesome conversations there. We have all of our updates and that kind of thing. So come join us. Come join our community and come hang out. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Everybody that made donations, of course, that goes without saying. Everybody that supports us on the pod of surprise. I do see people like Rob and other people. I believe Ryan's another supporter of ours in the chat. Yeah, I got the, I got the list right here. I got the list perfect, yeah. Cool. Uh, thank you to Marcella L., Maura Ann, James G., Ryan B., Barry W., Lucas M., Robert B., Elsie, and Amy L. We appreciate your support. You guys rock. We'll keep them coming. Uh, here's to more content. And if you do want to support us, $1, $5, and $10 option, whatever you choose. If you don't want to do that, hit the like hit the like button, comment. All of that stuff helps with getting us out there. We're trying to grow our community and, you know, make the make the best Witcher content we can. We like hanging Especially out with you guys. Now, it's a great community. In the, the run-up to the show, like when people are going to start getting more hyped for The Witcher, let them mm. know. We're a good source. Yeah. Spread the word, people. We appreciate it. Thank you much. Pass <laughs> a follow to your podcasters. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Oh, oh, oh. I, we're trying to attract Joey Beatty. Remember, not scare him away. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I think we'll end it with that because that's pretty funny. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Bye. Bye.